I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. We don't have Chris Peters with us today, but we do have uh, some exciting uh, prospect news in, in the trade world here uh, with a, a former one-time top uh, 2021 draft candidate, Atu Ratu, uh, going from the New York Islanders to the Vancouver Canucks as part of the Bo Horvat deal. And I want to start with that, Corey, because you know when you look at the the track, uh, the trajectory, I guess, of, of Atu Ratu over the past few years. It was really high, and then he falls all the way into the second round and almost immediately shoots back up. I remember that World Junior Summer Showcase that I think was concurrent to that draft. He was one of the very best players at it. Um, he's now in the NHL, um, or had been with the New York Islanders. He's, he's going to go to the Canucks, and he's going to start in Abbotsford, it sounds like. Where are you at overall on on Atu Ratu right now, and and what should Vancouver fans uh, be excited about here? I I think he's a very good young player. He's not a premium young player. He's not a guy who, if you redid that draft, would go in the top ten or something like that. But he he looks like you know a middle to late first round pick type of talent. 
this is a guy who two years removed from his draft, like you said, has already played NHL games. Uh, the the impressions of him coming out of his camp with the Islanders, um, out of his first year in North America, have generally been positive. I know his point production in Bridgeport wasn't amazing, but he's still, like I said, a very young player still. Uh, when I've watched him this year, I think he's looked good. He's skilled. He's intelligent. He's a good side centerman. Competes good enough. Uh, the, the issue on him has been whether the skating will will hold up in the NHL to help him be an impactful player. I, I see a guy who can be a center in the NHL. I see a middle six center in the NHL, whether it's second line, whether it's third line. Uh, that will be, you know, for, for him to decide over the coming years. Uh, but he's a very good player and, and he's a guy who, when you consider that Horvat is on an expiring deal, getting that type of very good young player with a first round pick and an Anthony Beauvillier, like that's, that trends what those returns usually are. He's not an outstanding prospect. He's not like, let's say like, I know a Dobson type of young player is for the Islanders, but he, but he's an excellent young player and he will be a Canuck for a very long time. With Vancouver is the, is what's going to determine whether this was a good trade, whether Ratu becomes a second or a two C or, or to you, is it more about what's going to happen with the, the pick that they get in this deal, which is a conditional first for 2023 top 12 protected optionally. Um, but, is that is that really the, the game changer here? Possibly, like you know, usually with these trades, the team that trades the good player never gets one guy coming back. Traditionally, that is that projects to be as good as the guy you you lost. The exception to that was like say that Martin Ira for Phil Forsberg trade a, a while back. Uh, and, and that didn't go so well for Washington. Uh, so I, I, I don't, I, the first round pick, you know, we'll see where that ends up being in the draft. Uh, I know it's lottery protected. So we'll see where it ends up being and what the player ends up being. And we'll see what Ratu ends up becoming. But I'm guessing that first round pick is, you know, a middle of the line of four defensemen. And that's what Ratu ends up becoming. And those are two important players. And Bovillia is an important player. But I don't know if you can realistically hope that any one of those three assets become exactly what you lost in Bo Horvat. It's it's tough to get those kind of players. There's a reason why they got him in the in the top ten. If I wanted to play like big time Atu Ratu advocate here, I would say what's the biggest differentiator between him and Anton Lundell at this stage? I think Lundell had a little bit more success versus men at the same time. Uh, but I, and I think maybe his compete level was, I don't think Ratu is soft, but I think like Lundell was, that was a major asset of, of his and still is. Uh, so I think that's, but I understand the similar size centers, not great skaters. They're, they're skilled, but they're not going to like bring you out of your seats skilled. So I kind of see where you're going with that analogy. And I don't think, I don't think they're that far apart as players, uh, I think Lundell is better, but I don't think there's a dramatic mm-hmm. difference between the two of them as players. Uh, but also at the same age, Lundell was a regular in a very good Florida Panthers lineup and was helping them make a push to the playoffs two years removed from his draft. And we're, and we're not there with Ratu at this current stage. Yeah. Yeah. One year older, but but obviously Ratu had the late birthday too. So it's really maybe a little bit deceiving that age gap too. I- right. Yeah. I agree with that. 
yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I don't think he's the make or break piece. I think it's the pick, and I think it's ultimately the volume too. Like you may get something for Beauvillier, you may get something dealing a different winger who you're replacing with Beauvillier. Um, I think it's the volume. Like I think the Canucks were going to kind of need a little bit of a reset, and like I mean, I don't, I don't think either of us thinks the Canucks are done here. Like this is, I think this is probably just the beginning of what's going to be a, a somewhat significant uh, turnover there. Yeah, Demko is probably the most interesting name now to watch with them. Uh, who all, I know hadn't he he had the injuries and he hasn't maybe been himself so far this year, but I think that's a player who if it was on the open market there will be a lot of interest. Well, it should be interesting either way. Uh, let's go now, Corey, though, into your draft rankings, which I guess Canucks fans are even more interested in now than than they probably already were. Uh, a new set of rankings for you, and I think uh, the the key here is something you put into your introduction. If at one point it seemed like the gap was closing between Adam Fantilli and Connor Bedard at number one, uh, the World Juniors sufficiently reversed that course here. Uh, Connor Bedard number one with a bullet. Yes, that is accurate, and it is accurate as well that in the first few months of the year, I was hearing from many people around the league that they thought there was a closing gap. And I don't think that was unreasonable to think. As we talk right now, Adam Fantilli leads college hockey in points per game. That is incredible. That is in, 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 with almost any other draft class, you're you're talking about probably the runaway number one overall pick at the moment. Uh, you know, he is an outstanding pro prospect. Uh, you know, you compare some of the other first year draft eligibles we've seen in college over the last few years. Matty Beneers, Owen Power. Kent Johnson, um, I might be be missing one one or two, you know, Dylan Holloway, et cetera. You compare them to what Fantilli is doing right now. It's not even close. You know, he he looks just incredible. But yeah, after what Bedard did at the World Juniors to build onto what's already been an extremely impressive resume, and, and the way he did it, it wasn't just pucks were bouncing in or something like that. Yeah, you know, he was the driving force. As a very young 05, he's like a July or an August 05, I believe. And and the way he kind of just was head and shoulders better than everybody at that tournament, uh, he is by a clear margin the best player in this draft class. What I think makes it so interesting, though, is that you, you make the point, the guys who are two through four also could have very easily challenged for number one in, in several recent classes. And I think, you know, you, you talk often about kind of the symmetry of drafts and how most drafts are pretty average, but when there is a difference, it's because of what happens at the top. Ultimately, right. you, you take another draft, you take the Jack Hughes draft in in uh, 2019, and you plop in like two more players of Capocaco's level, and all of a sudden that draft is super deep. And that draft already was really deep. Like we're already going back and looking at that now and finding really good players from the teens. Yeah. Um, I think you can make a really good argument here that you know this draft now stretches certainly when you compare to last year. Um, into you know the the really desirable players stretch much deeper as a result of what you have two through four here with Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, and Mavi Mitchkov. Right, I think part of that is they have those those two to four. They're all late birthdays, so they kind of have blended into that into that 05 group. You know, imagine if you know in the 0, in that 2019 class, if Alexi Lafreniere was 
was born a couple of weeks earlier and he's in that right. draft now. You know, that, that could have changed that dynamic a little bit. Would have been a really fun draft if that was the case. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, no, at the top, I think is really what makes this class a strong draft class. You have four special draft eligibles in Connor Bedard and Fantilli in Michigan. And you have Mafe Mitchkov over in Russia and, and Leo Carlson with, uh, Oribro over in Sweden. But then I think after that, kind of what you said and the point I made often is that once you get past those four, I think the body of the draft starts to look like a lot of other ones. If you read the article, you see the tiers I use, and you compare them to maybe other draft rankings I've done over the years, you're going to see there's a lot of similarities in terms of what the body looks like in terms of like projected middle of the lineup players, how many high grades I give on players total there's some that not completely similar, but there are a lot of similarities, but it's, but th- that top of the draft is really special. I mean, I think you could have dropped Leo Carlson into the Owen power draft into the Uri Slepkovsky draft and made a really reasonable argument. He was the best player in that draft. So is it, uh, is it an oversimplification or would it be fair to say like, you know, picking at 10 in this draft is similar to picking in seven in your average draft. Is that an oversimplification or, or would that hold up? It's it's probably close enough, I think. Or fifteen I think, uh, to twelve, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like I think you think you're 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 like in in the right direction there. Like I I don't know the exact number when that effect would just stop and it looks like a typical draft class, but it probably yeah. happens sometime around that ten to fifteen spot that starts to normalize a little bit, and at some point, you know, it's just going to look like a regular draft class or somewhere around that level, but. But I think you're on the right track there. All right, we're going to get to some of those names in a little bit here, but let's just drill down just a second because I think Mitchkov is a guy who in the early part of the year, maybe there wasn't quite as much like sizzle as there had been coming in. He missed some time, obviously. Uh, he's I was up to three now in, in your rankings here. It, it seems like kind of we're back to talking about Matvey Mitchkov as uh, maybe the second most talented player in this draft, or at least right there challenging with Fantilli for that. And I think that's fair based on what he's shown over his career and, and this season. When he was in the VHL, the second tier men's yep. league in Russia, he destroyed it. Like I, I that league isn't the most amazing pro league I've ever seen in my life, but it's there's still it's still a good league. There are good players. We've seen top draft eligibles like say Vasily put in or Fedor Svechkov at the same age, like be like average players in that league. And he was like a goal per game. And there's a draft eligible and he was carrying his team in those games and some of the games I've watched. And then he goes to the KHL on a very poor Sochi team, mind you, and he's been very good in the KHL. Like there are games where he gets a lot of scoring chances, involved a lot in the offense. And this is a, and for a guy who is not that big, not that fast, like doesn't have the pro attributes you usually think would translate into immediate pro success, especially in the KHL, like he's getting it done. And I think this is again. He, there are issues in his game. I think there are issues on his season that you could like kind of poke holes at. Uh, but he's like the amount of offense he shows is just outstanding. Uh, his, his what he can do with the puck, his hockey sense are are both elite. And he's a very different player from Anna Fantilli and from Leo Carlson. Uh, but I, I, it's, he is. Most certainly one of the best players in this draft class. You could have reasonable arguments whether he should be in that top four. You could have reasonable arguments whether he will be worth the risk to take in the top four, top five. Uh, 
but I, he is an outstanding hockey player. I think that's what makes it interesting is when we start talking about the four, you know, top four, right? His situation, I mean, the, the Russia factor here, I, I think is going to complicate all this, but that is kind of where the next tier gap happens here, right? Between, I think most people would agree, these are the top four on talent. And then you get into kind of some some varying opinions. I mean, Bob McKenzie put out his his list last week, and, and that's usually a, or it is a, a poll of, of NHL scouts, some NHL scouts averaged out. And I think his number five is Zach Benson. You know, And I think that's a player we've heard plenty about, but you know, on your list, Zach Benson is, I believe, number 12. So I, that's where this seems like it opens up a little bit beyond, we'll see what happens in the actual draft because of the rush effect, but that's where the, the, the talent rankings seem to open up. Right. And I think on Bob's survey, he even had some scouts say Mitchkov should be as high as two. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he's still very well thought of in the league. And I think that's what's going to be really interesting when it comes to this decision with Mitchkov is there's, we presume, I think most reasonable people presume that Bedard's going one. Extremely likely, I think, that Fantilli and Carlson are going to go two and three in some order. And then some team is going to have a really interesting decision to make where they're going to, if they agree, not everybody agrees that Mitchkov is a clear top four guy, but most people I think do. And if they believe that, then they need to make a decision on whether they take somebody who's substantially worse as a player. And I don't think I don't think it's a small gap between Mitch Cobb and the next best player. I think it's going to be a significant gap, and you have to make that decision on whether you want to take on the risks of the Russia factor of his long contract in the KHL. And, you know, frankly, there are some minor concerns about how his season has gone and that, you know, he, you know, he kind of bounces around, you know, he's, you know, gone from, from Scott to Sochi. Uh, why couldn't he make Scott's KHL team? Those are all reasonable questions. I think not like major questions to ask, but they're worth asking if you want to use a top five pick on him, given the fact that he's also, a, you know, a 5'10 winger, not an elite skater. There are some, there are some risk variables in his profile. Uh, but man, he's probably one of the most talented offensive players I've ever I've seen of like the last ten years at, at that age. So it, it it would be really tough to pass on him and to take I don't know Zach Benson, Braden Yeager, Dalbor Dvorsky, Will Smith, Oliver Moore, all great all great players, but they don't have those that special quality he has and. Like that's the kind of player where if you don't draft him, you're you might be spending the next decade trying to find a guy who does stuff like him. The flip side argument from some of the people who have to make that decision is if I do draft him, I might be spending the better part of the next decade crossing my fingers for when he's going to come over, and if he doesn't, I might be spending that time watching on TV or something. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, that's an argument I hear from NHL people. Is it's not your job on the line, you know? And and I get it. It's not. Doesn't change my life whether Mitch Goff comes over or not. But if you uh, are the manager who drafts him, your job definitely is on the line. Because if you're drafting him, you're probably not in a good position as an organization. And the devil's advocate argument I hear is once we get past Fantilli and Carlson, well, you start thinking of realistic timelines for players to come yeah. over. You know, how much is Will Smith or Jaeger or Benson or whoever really going to help your organization within the next two years? 
I think that's or very three fair. years. They they yeah, might you might you might you, you might be talking about a year and a half of of you know there the there, there might be one of those guys in that next group who becomes a really good player within the next two years. Odds are, maybe a second or a third who's like fine and and holds their own in the NHL. Um, I don't know. You cover the Red Wings. If yeah, it's it's been how many years since Lucas Raymond's draft? Three, and so so that's where he is. But you know, Cider took two pre two years between his draft and last yeah. year when he came right. over. So that was the first yeah. year. I was gonna say, let's say like, let's say Raymond was just coming into the NHL like starting next season. Did that really wouldn't be the end of the world? Would that, no, yeah, wouldn't did, be the end did of the that, world. Yeah, did that really change how the Red Wings build went? No, no, and that's a good point. Uh, really quick on this, just because just because I think this is where everyone's gonna their minds are gonna go as we talk about this. Seven teams, I think, realistically, in the mix for you know those top four right now: Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim, Arizona, San Jose, Montreal, Vancouver. Are there any of those that would shock you if they took Mitchkov? And are there any that would shock you if they passed on Mitchkov at number four? Well, the Blue Jackets, at least under the Kikalin regime haven't really shown a hesitation to draft Russians. So so that's yep. one organization I kind of circle and and could see a willingness there. But the again the devil's advocate argument is is Kekalainen's time running up a little bit. Can he afford to wait three years? Yeah. There's been some tumult there, some turnover. They've reinitiated this rebuild now. And yeah, I think that's a fair, fair question. Pat Verbeek and Anaheim comes from the Iserman school where they they didn't shy away from Russians. That is that is what I was thinking of there too. Uh, you know Paperbeek maybe better than I do. Not really. <laughs> they, they kept their front office pretty pretty siphoned off. Yeah, I think I could look through all these organizations really and make arguments for and against it. I mean, with Arizona, you can make an argument like, well, they're not going to be really good for much for the next few years, and they're not even in an NHL rink yet for for next couple of years, so. Why not? And the other side of it is love to get a player that actually helps you win games and our fans actually can come and see sometime in the next three seasons. Right. So, yeah, no, these, it's why whenever I talk to people, like uh, we can spitball what we think in the minds of Kekalainen or Bill Armstrong or Pat Verbeek, but everyone says this is an ownership call. So I, I don't know what's in these owners' heads. No, it's, but I guess my point being, I think when I see people talk about, this draft and, and Mitchkov is, I think it often comes from fan bases who think they're going to be picking like eight, nine, 10. They're thinking, well, the Russia factor, like Mitchkov is going to, you know, he's going to drop. He's going to, but like when I look at these teams that I think are the most likely to be the ones picking around four, I don't see any of them that I say there's no chance they take him. Right. That's what I think. I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see, especially some of those Canadian markets where maybe there's more pressure to win quicker. Vancouver, Montreal. I don't know. Maybe, but a lot of those, especially those Western teams, I think you can you can argue why why not. And I would say that with people I talk to in the league, it's split. I think there are some people in the league who think he's going to slide, who say they would be hesitant to do it. And then there's another large pool of them who I think are like licking their chops at the chance of getting this guy. Like they just see the incredible talent and hockey sense, and they're like, yeah, sure, whatever issues. No, we'll we'll, we'll take that and. And we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. Should be interesting. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Corey, let's dive back into your rankings here. And what I want to do for this segment is because the Bob McKenzie list tends to be a pretty good beat on where the league is at, uh, I want to ask you about some of the differences I see on on your list and on Bob's list. And, and I want to start with the one we teased in the last segment, Zach Benson at, at five on his list, at 12 on yours. I know you talked to plenty of, of NHL sources here when you put this together here. So were you a little surprised to see Benson up at, at five when this came out? Uh, a little bit. I was. Yeah, I, I think there are plenty of people in the league who love him and think he could be a top seven, top eight guy. But, but I've heard enough reservations about that that I think, you know, if we were doing prop bets right now, I don't think if you told me like under over under seven and a half, I would lean to the under. Like I almost look at him as a play style and toolkit and production like i think there's a lot of similarities between him and marco rossi in his draft season in the the body type in the skating and the competitiveness in the offense you could argue rossi had even more offense in his draft year and he was a center and he went ninth overall uh so that's just based on history like i love benson like he's an incredible player he's one of the best forwards in whl arguably in all of junior right now his skill is outstanding great hockey sense might be arguably the most competitive player in this draft class uh the athletic tools though are scary as a 5'9 winger who is i think a fine to good skater but not an incredible skater at that size and so i think there's some risk variables there we talked a little bit off air about you know looking through history and the league for this player type and uh scarily enough i asked max how many Five nine wingers are shorter than the NHL have are half a point per game or better right now, and he got it right. And on the first guess, which maybe he's hacking my computer, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> is that there are eight of them currently in the league. And if you increase that by one inch to five foot ten, it jumps to about twenty something. You increase that to another inch to about five eleven, it jumps to about fifty something. So there's very few players in the league who are. Le- legit scoring wingers at that size there are even fewer of them who were used with a premium draft pick most of them are guys who are kind of value guys or develop later whether it's you know someone like a zuccarello or marsh or so or you know brad marchand went later johnny Gaudreau went later you know you basically have it's basically cole caulfield is the only guy who went that high and became an impactful player at that size and it was something I've been thinking about with Benson is I've watched Zach Benson a lot over the last two seasons. And I watched Cole Caulfield a lot going into his yeah. draft year. And everybody knows I was a big Cole, Cole Caulfield guy. And I would ask you, Max, 
not sure how much Benson you've watched, but, you know, who do you like more going to their draft year, Caulfield or Benson? Caulfield, but I think it, it's because the shot was that. Like, even yeah. at 17 years old, you knew that this was going to be one of the best shots in the NHL. Right. I, that's kind of where I lean too. Is and I, I think Benson's a great player. But when I watched Caulfield, I thought, okay, there's something special about this guy. I mean, whether it's his skill, whether it's his shot, like, like there, there was a game-breaking element, and not really a hot take on a guy who scored 70 goals in his draft season. But you could kind of see there was a, and it wasn't always the case throughout the draft season with Cole. His first half did not, didn't always look that way. But as his draft season progressed, you saw there was certainly a special trait to this small guy. But he still went 15th overall. So when trying to project where I think Benson's going to go in the draft, I I just don't think five, six, seven. I I have got to imagine when teams get into their late meetings and they start having discussions with their management that trying to sell the five nine winger who isn't like an incredible skater i think that's going to be an uphill climb a couple of guys we've talked about i think who there's not total overlap with but in some cases like in it's a couple of swedes maybe that's lazy but we've talked about is there a little overlap on a william eklund is there a little overlap on on a lucas raymond you know maybe not as fast as eklund not as skilled as raymond but also not quite as big as either of them right they're both about five ten five eleven ish yeah. you know so and again you might think oh Corey, you're being trivial it's one inch but again i just told you the stats you move the body type just a little bit and the amount of comparables in the league change substantially and like benson might be the next cole caulfield i'm sure there's some people listening and thinking well you just talked about one of the young stars in the league you know and so what's the problem here and i think that's Right or wrong, it's why Caulfield went fifteenth. And when I was talking to people in the league, they say you you look you looked at the player pool in the National Hockey League, and you can't find a whole lot of comparables for him. You know, at the time it was DeBrinkin, and that was it. And I think with Benson, I think the two outcomes you're hoping for, like on the median case, you're hoping for Jonathan March or so, and on the best case, you're hoping for Matt Zuccarello. And if he's not either of them, he's probably in the American League. Yeah, and, and to your point, right, like when we talk about like, – it's not the Johnny Gaudreau, Alex DeBrink. I do think these are guys that go comfortably top 10, obviously, yes. in a redraft. Gaudreau goes top five. But it's the, it's the risk of all the the rest of the universe of outcomes that makes you question, well, what if not, that, that usually will drop these guys beyond that, right? Like right. if he's Johnny Gaudreau, which I don't think he is, but if he was Johnny Gaudreau, you're taking him top five all day, right? We're talking about Connor Bedard who's – well, he can't be much more than 5'9 as a – Clear, clear cut number one. Right. Uh, Matvey Mitchkov, similar deal. But if the second it drops below that, no doubt, you have to wonder about the rest of the universe of the players. And that's where you get it. I mean, where should Matt Zuccarello go in a redraft? He wasn't drafted. But I know, in a redraft, right? Where should he go? Yeah. Like, right. I think I looked at his 10 to age 15. Group. Yeah. I think I looked at his age group, the one he should have gone in. I think he was like top five ish or top seven ish in scoring okay. in that age group. So but now there's some defensive aspects of yep. that too because of the size but but you know he's he would be in you know a high high draft pick if he was to be put back into his original draft class and like i said the issue is is the risk is i I just rattled off i said the, the stats before i said there were eight wingers who are legit scoring wingers at that size in, in the nhl 
Think about all the other players that have come over the last decade or so. All the five nine or shorter guys who lit up junior or college or were great in Europe. And Nick and, Robertson. And, and and they're not there. I mean, he was a second round pick. But I'm just but, but yeah, I'm just thinking it could be anybody. Anybody. We're talking about I mean, heck, it looked like Niels Hoglander was gonna be that guy, and now yeah. he's in the American League. And he's playing well in the American League. I'll think he'll be back. But but that's that's the universe, you know. Maybe Marco Rossi is gonna be that. Maybe he won't. We'll find out what time what he what he is at the wild. It's just a very small player pool of guys that act, that actually look like Benson at seventeen and become impactful NHL players. And that risk has to be calibrated, I think, into this projection. If you don't watch him, and like I said, you don't watch him and think he's special. And I I don't I haven't concluded that. I think he's an outstanding player. But I don't watch him and I see like special skill, special hockey sense, like you saw with Cole Caulfield or with Lucas Raymond or with Mavay Mitchkov. I, I just, I'm not there yet, but I might be wrong. And I know yeah. plenty of other, and plenty you have of other 12, right? Yeah. And I know plenty of other evaluators who think I'm wrong. So, yeah. And you got him at 12. So it, it bakes in some risk, probably explains the difference. Uh, another guy kind of goes the other way, Corey. Your, your number one defenseman is David Reinbacher, the Austrian defenseman. Uh, number six on your list, that correlates a little closer to where we usually see the first defenseman go off the board. Uh, he's number 20 on the McKenzie list. Is this somebody who you would – I imagine this is someone we expect is going to rise uh, higher than 20 over the second half of the season though. I, I would think so. Again, we did a prop bet on Benson. If we did a prop bet like say over under 12 for Reinbacker, I would take the over right now. I think he would be – he has a – decent chance to be a top 10 draft pick when the draft actually happens. I mean, you just look at what he's doing right now in a very good league in the top Switzerland league where he's playing real minutes on a team that looked like it was going to suck coming into the year in Cloton, but they're actually doing okay right now. Uh, he plays power play for them. He's listed on the top pairing every night and it's not one of those things where it's like kind of we see in the Europeans like where they're on like the top pair of the top line but then they play five minutes in the game but he's actually playing a real role on this team uh he is six foot two he is a quite a strong skater I've been impressed with his defensive play versus men I'm not saying it's outstanding already but I mean he's he's physical he competes hard he can kill kill rushes with his skating and his length uh he's showing offense at a young age Versus good players, I don't know if he's going to be like this elite offensive player, but I see, a, you know, some skill, some playmaking. Like he shows comfort playing at that level on the power play. Like there's a lot here that leads me to believe he will be a high draft pick. I'm not saying, you know, I've had a couple of people ask me like, oh, is this some similarity as a cider? And I, and I don't want to say that because I think that might be overselling this player a little bit in terms of like, – I mean, I get the – the, how the brain connects those dots when you look at you know maybe yeah. a non-traditional league for a top defenseman to come out of both right shot defenseman with size uh i don't think he's cider yes you know that's that's not what i mean to imply but but i think this is a guy who has a very good chance to be a top four defenseman in the nhl how far off of like a noah dobson do you think he could be it not doesn't have quite the size dobson does Right, maybe a little bit meaner to play against, but I think Dobson is is one I've thought of. I've thought of Jacob Truba when I've watched him. Those are probably the two that, that yep. have come to mind right away. Uh, and you know, I'm not saying he's going to be those guys specifically, but but a guy who can make an impact at both ends of the ice. You know, a really yep. good pro defenseman. 
couple of guys who are, I, I think, bo- high on both of your lists, but in the top 10 for the McKenzie list, uh, Braden Yeager and Colby Barlow, they're more mid-teens for you. Uh, I, we don't have to talk about them together necessarily if there's one you want to start with here, but I think you know there, there's these are some of the top CHL players uh, yep. who, who it's worth discussing here. What, what's the gap? So two different debates, although there is some mild similarity between the two of them. Uh, Jaeger, I have rated still fairly high. I think he's an excellent all-around player. Uh, he's a good skater. He has skill. He has an amazing shot. He has a lot of energy in his game. He competes well. Uh, the scoring this year in the dub, probably not what you expected coming in after his tremendous underage year and after his great Holinka. You know, that he's just slightly over a point per game right now is probably a little bit off of what we expected coming into the year. I think Moose Jaw in general, we thought, I thought would score more goals than they have this season. So now we're looking at Jaeger and we start asking the questions for the pro projections. Because I think when I watch him, I don't see like outstanding offensive abilities. I think he has skill. I think he has good offensive hockey sense. I think the shots a it's a big time NHL weapon. But I don't think you look at him and think there's a like elite offensive abilities here. So now you start asking the question: Okay, well, what is he in the NHL? He's five foot eleven. He's a pretty good skater. He's got pretty good skill. But I don't think like there's a. I don't think he's dynamic. So I think that's. That's where the debate comes in. There, I, I talk to people in the league. I think there's like, like I think there's a people in the league who are more on my side, and some who are more on the side of like he's still a premium prospect. He's going to be this really good two way forward, uh, play all day, have a long NHL career, etc. Uh, so we'll see where he ultimately ends up in the draft. But that's my hesitancy is I just don't know if the high side there is going to be all that significant. With Barlow, he, he's kind of the opposite, though, right? Like, I mean, he's he's producing maybe more than you expect just watching the the shift to shift, right? Like, and I think that makes him a really interesting test case here. Do you attribute this to you know he's got the full beard and he looks really physically matured? Is that what it is, or is this just a player who maybe we're not giving enough credit to the the things that he does that leads to that? It's a great question. I'm not sure what the answer is. I've when I've watched him, I personally don't see anything other than the shot where i think like wow like that's a significant nhl asset there like he's got a ton of skill or he has great uh, hockey sense and and instincts and vision like i don't see that i just think he's a really well-rounded player he's a good skater he competes hard he has good skills he can shoot the puck really well and i think he's a very nice player but yeah when i watched him over the last year or so, I haven't seen a player that's matched up with his incredible production. He's at. I mean, he's going to score possibly 50 goals this year. You know, that's what Steven Stamkos did. That's what Jeff Skinner did. That's what Arthur Kaliev did. You know, guys yeah. who had typically the level of offense he has in the O translates into being an excellent NHL player. So, yeah, I'm kind of going against the grain on the stats here a little bit, and it makes me a little hesitant because I've talked to people in the league who agree with me, who wonder if this is a little bit of a mirage, and some people like love this guy, think he's top 10 all day. So, and that's kind of reflected on the McKenzie list too. If you told me Arthur, you give me Arthur Kaliev, but maybe a little more rugged and competitive and a little better skating stride, I'm suddenly extremely excited, right? But you know, my question, I guess, would be on like the pure offensive instinct. But you made the point in the in the article, like, can't is it really even possible to produce the way this guy has without the hockey sense? And I I think that's a very fair argument. 
Right. I don't think, yeah. Like when I watch him, I don't think he has quite the level of like skill and sense that Artie has. I think Artie's always had the great shot, but his playmaking, I think, has always been a big asset too. And like he's, his vision, I think, is like really high end as well as his shot. But yeah, I think he's a, I think Barlow's a better skater. I think he competes harder. Frames are a little similar. Maybe Artie's a little bigger, but not, but not by much. So it's a great argument to have. Um, and I might be too low on Barlow, but, uh, he is one I've definitely had to put a lot of thought into and, and will over the next few months. All right. Let's go back to the Russian conversation here. A couple of locomotive teammates here, Daniil Boot and Dmitry Simashev, uh, guys who were lower on the McKenzie list than I expected. Uh, number 25 for Boot and number 35 for Simashev, who I think belongs closer to that conversation for the top defenseman in the class. I think you've got him. Uh, 15, I want to say, which I think makes him your number two defenseman in this class. Uh, and, and you got boot number eight. I wonder, is this, did, did, how much did this surprise you to see the placement of these guys? And I know that the, the Russian factor complicates all the conversations around these yep. guys, but this one seems even more surprising to me. Yeah, I think it's hard to say why people believe what they, you know, where they've slotted them for various reasons, uh, whether it's because of the Russian factors or because of the, the players' abilities. Uh, Yep. Simashev is an interesting one in that I think everybody sees the 6'4 defenseman who can skate. I do think the offensive abilities is a, is a debate. He's been producing better in that league of late. I do think within that league, it can be tricky evaluating offensive production because yep. there's definitely a haves and a have-nots to a significant degree in that league. If you're on Locos junior team or SCAs or CSKAs, that team composition looks a whole lot different than like the 20 other teams in that league. And it's pretty rare for guys to produce who are 17-year-old on those elite junior teams. And so, I mean, I've seen Simishev, you know, work the power play at various levels, tournaments, whatnot. I think that I see flashes of skill. You see him make plays. I think there's offense there, but I understand there's a reasonable debate there. That might be the, the hesitate, hesitancy for some scouts that I've even talked to of like, hey, I, I'm not sure this is going to translate into like a legit two-way guy. He might just be a 6'4", good skating defensive defenseman type of player. I think you see really good meanness there too to compliment. And that's like where I – like if, if it's just like 6'4", good skating and is the offense going to translate, like we'll see. Yeah, you're talking about a late first, early second. But I think when you then add in some of the meanness that you see on tape with him against pros – that's when I start to think, okay, well then I feel like this guy should have like a Caden Gooley-ish baseline expectation. That's kind of like how I how I come at it. Yeah, I'm not all the way there. I don't see like Gooley type of tenacity when I watch him, but he he's a really good player. Like I buy I buy the offense. Uh, I think he's a good defender. Like I think this is a this is a really nice all around player. But I get the debate. I don't get the debate on boot. Like I like I don't know. Like, I don't know how you can watch this guy and not think he's one of the best players in his age group. And I think most scouts I've talked to think he's he's a good player. I mean, it's like he's six foot five. He has legit skill. He can he can score goals. I think there's a maybe a minor debate on his skating, on whether like the skating's like incredible enough at to be like a top, you know, you know, you know, a, a, you know, a legit like top fifteen, top twenty draft pick, but I've personally have seen that. When, I, when I've watched him, um, like I think he checks all the boxes other than where he plays. When you watch those MHL games he plays in, 
Like for me, he dominates those games sometimes. Uh, so yeah, I think that one is interesting. I think I'll be really fascinated to see where these guys land. And we don't know because of the Russian variable where ultimately they're going to be drafted. If we're doing a mock draft, I would don't know really where I would slot them. But I think about last season, and let's take Miroslachenko and put that one aside for a second because obviously yeah. he had the medicals. You know, let's compare those two to Danila Yurov, who went mid twenties. Like uh, you can argue Yurov versus Simashev and have debates on who was the better player going in, but I think Boot is ahead of Yurov at the same point in the draft process. So. Like I think he will be a top 20 pick when it's all said and done. I just don't know where that's going to be. I got to think a lot of it has to do with just what share of his play right now is coming in the MHL as opposed to, you know, those those men league. When you're 6'5", like it is a little bit harder to know, especially when you can move like him and, and stick handle like him. And I, those are good things. You're not going to knock him, but you expect that toolkit to really – dominate in the MHL, you know, the junior sure. league, as opposed to if more of it was coming in the KHL, in the VHL, I wonder if you would see a little quicker buy-in. I don't know. Yeah. And Loco doesn't use their VHL team. So it's only going to yeah. be KHL or MHL for him. Uh, so we'll see ultimately where it ends up with, with those two and how the rest of their years go. I th- So they kind of like bounce those guys around. They put them up, bring them to the cage. Both of them, they played KHL games. Like They go down. They go to their other... They have two... Such a bizarre league. Like, so Locomotive has two MHL teams that they're associated with, and Ska has three K three MHL teams they're associated with, so they can move their various players around. So sometimes they've gone to that, they've sent them to the other MHL team, which is weaker, so they can get more ice time and opportunity. Um, but I think once their postseason starts um this spring and they're playing for something legitimate and they have to lean on their guys a little bit, I think that will be a really interesting test of those two value and the kind of impact they can have if they can rise to the occasion in in the MHL postseason. All right. One more guy I want to get to here that there's a little bit of a discrepancy on. It's not a huge one. You've got him more toward the top 10. Bob has him more toward the the back half of the top 20. And that's Samuel Hanzik. He's a guy who I know you've been following the rise uh, pretty closely here throughout the course of the season. What What's kind of your read on, on Hanzik? What is he going to be in the NHL? Obviously, you, know, you talk about a, a winger with some size here, um, and and I know above average compete is is the, the tool grade that pops out for you. Yeah, I think Hanzik was really trending in a positive direction up until the World Juniors, where he looked like he was going to play a big role on that Slovakia team, and then he had that really brutal injury in the game versus the United States, where he had a a leg laceration from from a skate, uh, and that obviously he's been out since then. But I see a player when I've watched him in the, in the WHL who checks a lot of the boxes that, that you look for in a top prospect, similar to our, our Daniel Boot discussion, where I think he's quite a good skater for a big guy. Uh, his production is quite strong. I mean, he's producing the same clip that Brayden Yeager is. And I mean, so like, it's not like he's not showing any offense this season and he's a two-way guy uh he works hard there's a there's a lot of traits there i think that will be really appealing to nhl teams he's going to come back i think within the next couple of weeks i don't think that injury was a long-term injury so he'll and the the giants have really fallen off so he if there's a playoff chase it's to get kicked out of the first round rather quickly 
for them. Is he kind of a better skating Reed Schaefer for you? Is that a fair comp? Maybe not as nasty as him or like have that type of goal scoring touch. But I think he is a better player than Schaefer is. But I think that's kind of what you're 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 looking at. Like I almost I think of I think of uh, Pavel Zaka on the Bruins a little bit, where like it's like this well-rounded toolkit, but there's nothing about him that's like really exciting and, sure. and elite for the NHL level. Um, and and I understand Zaka may not be the most exciting name, but he just signed up. What was it? A four four and a half million something yep. extension. You know, he's a good player on a good team. I don't think Hans is ever going to bring you out of your seats, but but I think there's a lot of traits there, like I said, that will appeal to an NHL team and make an NHL coach want to play him a lot. All right, let's take a quick break there, and we'll come back with a mailbag. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. That's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Corey, into the mailbag. Uh, we got some holdovers from last week that we didn't get to. Really, really good stuff from last week. Uh, we had too many. So we're going to pick right back up with Brad W. Which says, if you could place the top five prospects in the draft on the bottom five NHL teams, which would you place each player on? In other words, who would you most want to see Bedard play with, etc.? So the bottom five teams right now at the time of recording are Columbus, Chicago, Anaheim, Arizona, and San Jose. And your top four prospects, uh, obviously, Bedard, Mitchkov, Carlson, Fantilli, and Will Smith. How would you match all these up? I feel like even though like they're like the biggest market, do we really want Chicago to get Bedard? Given just how like how one, they, they already had their their number one overall given their three Stanley Cups. And and two, they just really tore completely tore it down to to get to this point so it's almost like it's almost like rewarding the behavior i think any team that's been rebuilding like in earnest for like three or more years would be livid with chicago immediately tanking and getting maybe patrick kane 2.0 the second patrick kane 1.0 is is kind of finally aging out or potentially going to leave chicago it would be hilarious. It would be very much like Pittsburgh getting Crosby. It's probably the closest analog I can think of. Right. My inclination is kind of to Columbus. I hope they get Bedard just because I feel like those fans have been as patient as any fan base in the NHL for good news. And, you know, Anaheim has had their Stanley Cup. San Jose had a lot of really, really good years. Uh, obviously, Arizona's. Hasn't had consistent success, but do you really want to see Bedard go and play in a college rink right away? Uh, so my lean would be: I hope 
if I had to pick one that I hope, I do hope Columbus is the one of those five that gets him. I think Columbus is who I would match with Fantilli. They've been looking for their one C forever. They, you know, they, they've gotten Kent Johnson and Cole Sillinger. I think we can debate whether Kent Johnson's best on the middle or on the wing. I think I'm going with Fantilli to Columbus. I think I'm giving Bedard. I want to see Bedard and Trevor Zegers play on the same line. That's where I'm going with that one. Uh, San Jose, I think I, I think San Jose and Michkov. Uh, they can, you know, wait out their some of these big contracts, and while while Michkov percolates, uh, give me Arizona for Leo Carlson. We'll get a maybe center for for Dylan Genther there, uh, and and Chicago can have Will Smith, which is just fine. Right, I I like that. Also, I can see. I think Adam Fantilli and Zegers would be a really interesting yeah duo. You have a top two line center now of like Mason McTavish and Fantilli and you put Zebras on the wing of one of those two. Yep. So we, okay, that, that would be fair. So if you, if you did that, you could swap uh, Columbus at Anaheim for what I had. Right. But right. I like your analogy that, and I think Mitch Koff makes a lot of sense in San Jose. Yeah. All right. Uh, on to the next one. We got uh, Patrick McConnell and Brandon S both here. Similar questions with a little bit different flavor. So Patrick McConnell wants to know how many potential, top of the lineup centers you see in this draft. Brandon S wants to know who do you think will actually stick at center out of the draft's top 10 or 15. Any true top line, no question centers after Fantilli. Really what we're we're debating here is Leo Carlson, Will Smith uh, positionally, and then kind of the ceiling argument on Nate Danielson, Oliver Moore. uh, I think that might be it. Dalbor, Dvorsky, Jaeger. Yeah. Yeah. So – Carlson's an interesting one because he actually really – I know he's always listed as a center. We list him as a center. But he hasn't really played center at all for like two years. Uh, like I think he did it a little bit at the J20 level when he was when he was down there last season. But even when he was with the Swedish under-18 team, he was a wink. And he was that with the under-20 team. And he's been there in the SHL. So – I haven't seen a whole lot of high-level games from him in the last couple of years where he actually is a center. And he might be. Like, he, there is a toolkit there with the size and the compete and the, and the instincts where he could be. I'm not sure I'm sitting here, though, and telling you confidently he is going to play center versus NHL players when I, I haven't really seen him do it yet. It's It would be a leap. like, But I could see some similarities between him and like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who also mm-hmm. wasn't a center when he was drafted and then got converted immediately after. Is he quite as mean as Dubois? No, but he competes hard, but he's not like, he's not like, like nasty to play against. Cross-checking guys below the net and all that stuff. Right. Like I think you're maybe like hope if he's a wing, like still could be a really, really good winger. Yeah. But maybe like he's more like Miko Rantanen than he is like Dubois. If you think of how he looks as a winger. I think I think a lot of I think most teams would take Miko Rantanen over Dubois. Is that fair? I think so, but yeah, I just like I'm looking for like guys with that frame who have yeah. that kind of play style a little bit kind of with the skating. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I guess that so he's he's the one that I think gives you the potential true top line center. What what would your feelings be? I mean, I guess we could have the same argument as Will Smith. How sold are you that he's a center? I think he is. But I'm not sure like he's like the one C on like a, on a team that wins it all kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't know if he has like that true two-way, like powerful, high compete type of game, unless the offense is just incredible that he produces in the NHL. Like when I think of him, like the one the guy I think of is like Kuznetsov, like in terms of like how he plays and and yep. the toolkit. A little smaller. Right. And you know, and you know, so like obviously things have changed in Washington, but he was the you know, he was the two to Backstrom there for for a while. Um and you know, but uh so that's kind of what I think was but I think Smith can be a center because I think he's a really good skater and the hockey sense is incredible. And he's been a center for a long time and done so successfully. So the other interesting thing then, I think I think if we're talking about Danielson and Dvorsky, we're probably more talking about a 2C. Is that fair? I think so, yeah. And I think Danielson has the best chance to stick. Yes, I think he's going to – I think he – I feel pretty confident actually he's going to be an NHL center because he is this – I think and more we yeah. should put in this too. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I think more should be in this. Yeah. I think cause like Danielson is pretty strong skater. He is a competitive all around player, uh, at this top prospects game. He measured in at nearly six foot two. Good hockey sense. Like uh, there's a lot of things there that make you think like, yeah, he's, he's an all day NHL center more. I think not a lock, but I think pretty good chance because his skating is so dynamic and he, I think he works hard. He actually started the year on the wing with the program and moved his way towards mm. center. Usually it goes the other way with, with the, you know, the, the small skill guys. Um, so I, and he's done so very well. He competes well. He, he, uh, I think, I think he will play the middle. Dvorsky, good chance. Can I sit here today and tell you I'm a hundred percent sold? I can't, just because his skating is it amazing. I don't I think his compete is fine. But I don't think like this is a great two way player. So like he has to be kind of one of those centers that just really drives the play with his offense. And he could, but I I don't know if that's a guarantee. And then same thing with Jaeger, where I think he is good skater, good compete, but. Uh, there's only so many five foot eleven centers in the NHL, right? So, like, I guess you're kind of hoping he's the. He, I feel like every year we're like, oh, this is the next Braden Point, this is the next Vincent Trocheck, and like, he could be one of those guys, maybe, probably won't be though. If I had to, like, he looks more like a winger, and I know there's a lot of scouts I talk to who think he's probably a winger in the NHL, but that, and but some do think he's a center, so there's a little bit of a split on that one. But yeah, that's why I'm not completely sold. Will be a top two line center in the NHL. Good questions there from from, from Patrick and Brent. I like that. Uh, Maxwell Long, how do you feel about uh, GMs intentionally making their teams worse for draft positioning? Uh, Corey, I'm told Gary Bettman says this does not happen. Uh, he might be slightly misinformed on that <laughs> issue, but it's an interesting dilemma in the NHL with the way the lottery works, right? I mean, you could win one game all season and you still have a three and four chance of not getting the first pick and like a, what's like a 50-50 chance of not even getting a top three pick. So, I mean, you given the team you cover, whether it's, you know, the, the Red Wings or the Blue Jackets or, or Vancouver, there's been plenty of teams that have finished low in the standings for a long time and have not been able to, you know, get that number one pick or sometimes even the number two or three pick. Uh, it's it's interesting that that 
I, I can see the argument of like what he's trying to say that the system is set up in a way where it doesn't really reward you to do that. But, and I think that the math does not help teams actually build that way. But uh, I mean, teams clearly do it. Yeah, he chose his wording carefully too. He talked about tanking as, as something that players and coaches would never do, which is true, right? I don't think you're going to see any player or coach. Uh, they, the players don't want a replacement in the draft, and, and the coaches will get fired eventually if, if they're down there too long. But it, you know, it's obviously happening. I, I guess the, the question here, though, is how do you feel about it? Do you think it? You know, I think most people would say that there's some element that you know it's bad for the the game in some competitive spirit kind of way, um, but it is. It does remain seemingly the most viable way to inject the talent that you need into your organization. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about how teams have "quote unquote" rebuilding plans, that's usually what it is, right? It's suck and get a couple of high draft picks and and hope you kill it in the draft because it's really hard to rebuild your team through free agency, through trades, uh, through I don't know, killing it in the mid to late rounds. Those are those. I mean, I, those things do happen. Like one out of every ten rebuilds do work that way, but most of the time, that is not the uh, highest percentage way to rebuild your organization. All right, next one is from uh, Jonathan Andrew Paul. Do you see a time when we could see a goalie go top five again? What would this mythological goalie look like and what type of scouting report and pedigree would be required? I think this is a great one because we've seen some pretty high pedigree goalies come through, not last year, but the few years before that, when you had Spencer Knight, you had Yaroslav Askarov, you had Jesper Wallstedt, and Sebastian Kosa worked his way up into actually being the first goalie off the board that year. Uh, if not a Spencer Knight or, or Yaroslav Askarov, I guess in particular, you could also say Jesper Wallstedt as, with, with the pro experience that he had. If those guys aren't going top five, are we ever going to see a goalie go top five again? Here's the thing. I thought if we would have had the draft in December of 2020, I think Askarov might have been in that conversation. He, he kind of tanked himself a little bit at that World Juniors, and then he actually went to that February five U18 Five Nations, and he was just okay there too, so his stock kind of just slide. But he still went 11th, even – Yep. Even with that in mind, so like there, I thought he was a special athlete and and had a really good track record up until the last two months of that then canceled season, that kind of catapulted his chances. But I had him rated as a top five player at one point. Like I thought he was, yep. I thought I thought he was the next one of those goalies, and he's been pretty good this year in the American League, and, and hopefully he gets yep. back on track. Uh, the next guy who I think has a prayer, and I hate putting some pressure on a guy who's sixteen years old right now. We do that all the time on this podcast, so that's fine. Um, is uh, there's a goalie in the queue who I really like? Uh, name is Gabriel Degla, um, and he's have you know he was a super high draft pick in, in his queue draft. He's six foot four. He's very athletic. Um, he has something like a he is three drafts out, and I think he has something like a nine twenty save percentage already in in the queue. This season, when I saw the U seventeen challenge, he was he showed the ability to steal a game at a very young age. Like there's there was a lot of things there that like led to like okay, like if there's going to be the next one of them, that's what it looks like. But you know, again, we're three drafts away, so we'll see where we are when his draft actually rolls around. But the but like I said, I thought those are two guys that I th- that would trend that way, and I think it comes down to like you know. 
like Askarov was the big time performances, right? Like when he yeah. broke the heart of that 2019 uh, NTDP team, uh, when he stole that gold medal from Canada at the Holinka, like those are the kind of things those goalies need to do typically. They need to have outstanding performances in big moments and do so in a way that makes them look like a pro prospect, not just, you know, like how like that uh, Hugo Havlet did versus the U.S. team last spring where, yeah, you're a 5'10 goalie and you have you know, your life. Like you need to show some high end athleticism and things that will translate to the NHL. I'll say this. If I was in the position to, to potentially draft a goalie in the top five, I would be really scared of that goalie being a Canadian, uh, especially coming out, not being a Canadian, coming out of the Canadian hockey leagues, because I think what you have, you know, Daigle's a, a late birthday, right? So he's November birthday and he'll still have to go back for another year, even if he's coming off three years of nine thirties. And I would really worry about stagnation. I think this is something, you know, with Kosa and the Red Wings uh, that you saw, he, he goes back and, you know, Obviously, every player is different, but he, he comes off that year in the, the shortened season. He's got like a 940. He goes back. I don't know what it ended up at, but I think it was like 915 or 920. You take these steps back. But I just wonder developmentally if I would really want to sign up for that trajectory of having to send a guy back to a league that he's been dominating. And that's right. with, with Nagel. He's already a late birthday. He gets it shortened by a year. Right. The argument against that would be that was Carey Price's development path, but that was one player. Uh, you haven't seen a whole lot of premium goalies come out of the CHL over the last decade or so. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd I'd rather take one out of out of uh, Russia or out of Europe uh, personally. But or let or let, go to col- or, or let them go to college for three. Yes, years. or college. Yes, exactly. Uh, JJ Gab, how high could you see Reinbacher being taken? Does Barlow have top six potential, or will his skating slash dynamism hold him back? So obviously, you've got him at six. I assume you think he can get taken as high as six. Yeah, I think. I think he's got a good chance to be a, a top 10 draft pick just for the reasons we said earlier in the podcast between the the, the, the athletic toolkits, 6-2 guy who can skate and, and works hard. Uh, you have he's showing offense in a really good league. He's playing a major role in a very good league. Uh, you know, he checks a lot of the boxes that you look for typically at a high in the draft. Defenseman doesn't seem to be a glaring flaw in his toolkit. Um, I, I'm not... I don't know exactly where he's going to go, but I would say something between 6 to 12 would be my projected range for him right now. And how about Barlow? And Barlow, yeah, kind of what we said before. Like, I like him. He's a really good player. I think he'll be a second-line winger in the NHL. The stats say he could be a top-line winger in the NHL. I think that's really where the debate is, is, is do you buy that that offense is going to translate? Um, or is it a bit of mirage? I lean to the latter, but... There are good arguments on both sides, and I don't feel overly confident about that one yet. Next one is from Joseph Nowariak. How do you value the change in point production across leagues for a player's projection? A player in the NCAA goes point per game as a freshman and a sophomore. How would you evaluate that player versus one who went from one and a half to two points per game in the CHL? He's talking specifically about Matthew Nyes. And I think this is a really good uh, question here because I think it's some, it, you're always kind of trying to compare players in different leagues. And it's hard to do when you're in these very different developmental contexts. It's hard to do because the leagues are different because you got to evaluate what, how does a, maybe a guy on a good college team rate to a guy on a poor junior team versus a stacked KHL team versus a mediocre SHL team. And for better or for worse, this is why those international tournaments gets a lot of importance put on them. 
because it's the leveling field because you see them all on the ice at the same time and you can start making those red comparisons even if it's in a shortened sample. Now, there's no really great way to answer this question in a way that'll be satisfying to the listener other than takes experience and time and you've kind of get an idea of what the certain production and certain impact, not just production, but impact, you know, guys will get a lot of power play time if they're on crappy junior teams and they'll score, but it doesn't mean they're having impact in, in the games and helping their team win hockey games. Um, so you got it just after you've seen a lot of guys at various levels, you kind of get an idea of like, is this different? Is this impressive? Is this not as impressive? Uh, you know, is this just a, a dime a dozen guy who scores in junior, but is going to like go right to the East Coast? It just, you know, I can't sit here and tell you specifically how to do it. It just eventually you get it. I think I would rather have a guy who's flat at a point per game in college than a guy who increases his production by 20 points, you know, his age 20 or 30 points or whatever his age 20 season as, as a CHL player. Is that fair? Yep. I think you just. Uh, you know, anytime you go up against older players, it gets harder and you get more valuable information in terms of his NHL projection, you know, whether it's going from junior like USHL to college or junior to European pros or from junior to the American League. Those are major jumps in the quality of competition, the age, the strength level of the players you're going against. And if they show success, those are those are check marks in terms of their NHL projection. Okay, they can jump the level and they can still have success. Good point. Uh, Logan Horn, how big is the gap between Will Smith and Oliver Moore right now? Could Moore be the first American off the board on draft day or has Smith separated himself too much? I don't think he separated himself. I think I thought he did, but the more the season has gone on, I don't think there is separation. And I don't think it's for sure Moore either. Depending on which scout I'll talk to, some think the gap between Smith and Leonard is razor tight. I think on Central's rating, they were like back to back. I think there was like Smith was like third North American and Leonard was fourth or something like that. Uh, and there are some scouts who think it's razor type between Moore and Smith as well. I think it's getting really close between those two players. Like as of now, I think I have Smith five and more like nine or 10 on my, on my list, mm-hmm. but I could see a reality where we get to the spring, particularly after we get through the U18s. Um, and I can see a world where I flip those. I'm not there yet, um, but more keeps impressing me. Uh, as I keep watching him, and I, I, I would not sit here and guarantee you Smith is the first U.S.-born player off the board. Uh, Frank Nazar, 2025 Calder. I wonder who, what team that guy cheers for. Uh, wants to know where you have Cristal <laughs> going in this draft. I remember an episode where he said a lot of NHL people wouldn't take him in the first round. He he is in your first round though. Here, when we look at your rankings, Corey. Yeah. Uh... And he will be probably the most fascinating player among them. Anyways, against Mitch Koff's pretty fascinating. There's other, there's other plenty of fascinating players, but for me, he might be the most fascinating player to monitor where he ultimately goes and how his career ultimately goes um, in this draft because his offense is incredible. And I think as we sit and record this now, I think he's either like, I think after Bedard and Stankoven, I think he might be next. In terms of point per game in the Western League, he's definitely top five. Um, you know, his skill, his creativity, his offensive instincts, they're they're fantastic. He can score goals. Uh, you know, he 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 his, when he's on the power play, he stands out in a massive way. 
Um, but he is a barely five foot ten winger, and he is a very awkward looking skater. And I think his compete is like fine, but I wouldn't call it a major asset. Uh, so I think when a push comes to shove at the draft, I think there are going to be some real debates about him within NHL organizations. And I believe those are already happening about where does this guy fit? When does it make sense to, to select him? And I just think due to those various risk factors, I don't see a top 20 pick. I think it's just so much risk on his projection, but I could see a late first round pick. Like I think of it's different type of player types because um, of the score is a little different, but I almost think of like where Ely Tolvanen went in his draft year where he had a lot of risks in his, in his compete, his skating, his size, but he had a tremendous track record of scoring and skill. And he went like in the mid to late twenties, Bobby Brink, similar, amazing, you know, USHL top scorer, small guy with wonky skating issues. First couple of picks of the second round. I think that's kind of the alleyway, which is where he's ranked on my list right now, where we kind of start talking about Cristal. I think it's interesting. You go back to the conversation we were just having about guys under 5'10 and how many of them are are half point per game wingers in the NHL. How many of them had below average skating? That's that's the other element there. Right. You know, the guy I keep thinking about with him, and I think there is a difference. I think this guy's a fine good skater but he skates a lot like how jeff skinner skates like he has mm-hmm. like he just like he defaults into the mohawk constantly he's, he's always on his edges he never never he does can't like push the pace but like he's very elusive but i think skinner does that with power you know there's a reason why he was a top 10 pick is the skating was awkward but it was still powerful i think with cristal it's almost like how francesco pinelli skates where it's that same kind of style, but it's not like a powerful mohawk. It's not a powerful, like explosive edges. Um, so those are the things I'm balancing with him. But if you're a believer, you think this is the next Jeff Skitter. Brendan P's got a fun one. Uh, Axel Sandine Pelica or Denton Matejchuk? I kind of feel like these two could go in the same range too, Corey. I do. Like, it would be pretty close to me. I would lean Sandin Pelica just because the brain and the pure offense I think will be a little bit better. But I think Matejchuk's the better defender. Much better. You think not much better, but he is a better skater. Um, probably a little bit more competitive. Uh, but I would be close for me. I like the comp, Brendan. Uh, Brian Kelly, do any of the other leagues you follow have elements that would make the NHL product more entertaining if they were copied? <laughs> I like this question because I think we can probably share from our experiences about going to Europe that I think their games are, you know, the experience is different. I think I think of the way games are in Europe, and I think of the way games are in college hockey. When I think of this question, where yep. you go to the game and there's an experience to the game. I don't think like when you go to most junior games when you go to most pro games nhl games there's an experience to the game i think for the most part it's two and a half hours of sitting in your seat there's like seven or eight times you cheer when there's a penalty or a goal and then you go home yeah. um, whereas you know when you go to europe like there's drums banging people dancing and chanting you know when you go to a college game there's heckling and and the student sections are are you know always always a ruckus like there's just more going on and i think when you think of like what the what the sport of hockey is like kind of how soccer is over in other parts of the world when you watch those games there's an experience you know 
that while the game flow is going on, there's other stuff going on in the stands. I think, I think those are things that are missing from an NHL game right now. I agree with you. I think if you could have an organized supporter section that's going to lead some chants or, or even just do them themselves at various points of the game, it doesn't need to be continuous, but I think it would add a lot. I also think, Corey, and I, this one will absolutely never happen. I think there's, if you shorten the schedule to the way that it is in, in Europe, or which is also true in college hockey, it just brings up the, the meaning of every game. And I think that sure. you know lends to this kind of like investment and passion. But you're leaving so much money on the table, you'd never do it. But I think even if you cut it by 10 games, it would have a big impact on that personally. Right. And, and, and you're probably attracting your, your diehard fans to more games too, right? Because the, they can't afford to go to 40 games a year. But if you say come to 10 you probably can get the same ten pe- same people to come to those ten games for sure. I think that's right, and, and I, I just, the stakes of it, right? Like the stakes of losing a game in in Europe on a fifty two game schedule are almost double the stakes of losing a game. And right. obviously, there's relegation that plays into that too. But you know what I mean? Like it's, it's right. That'll yeah, never it, happen. It, but it, if you had if you had a forty or a fifty game schedule in the NHL, and it's I don't know, like you go to the into like the Atlantic Division, and it's Boston versus Toronto tonight or something like that. Like that game all of a sudden has massive importance. Totally. I mean, it, it, you see it in, in football too, right? In the NHL yep. or the NFL, like you know, 17, 18 game schedule. Uh, everything, every quarter is as important as like an NHL game. So it's, yeah. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today, Corey. Uh, thanks to you all for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Just a little programming note. The Tuesday boys are going to be recapping the NHL 99 project and discussing some of the controversial rankings within it. So you can feel free to leave an email for Craig and Sean at the athletic hockey show at gmail.com or a voicemail at 845-445-8459. All of you who filled up my uh, DMs about uh, Steve Eiserman's placement on that list. These are the people that you want to talk to. You can also follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at The Athletic Hockey Show. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.